And we have been talking this Christmas season about snapshots of the Savior. The fact that God has given us this wonderful imagery, this, this picture of who He is in the story of, of Jesus. And, and not just in the story of Jesus, but, but even in the, the prophetic statements that were made hundreds and even thousands of years before Jesus' birth about who Jesus is and, and what He would be to us. And, and we see this in, in the story of Jesus and the connection to the earlier stories. One that is tremendously heartwarming to me is the story of those shepherds that were keeping watch over their flock by night there in the Bethlehem field on the night that Jesus was born. It tells us this in Luke chapter 2. It says, there were in that same country or in that same area shepherds watching over their flock by night. And, and as they were there, that the angel of the Lord appeared before them, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and, and they were frightened by this. But then the angel spoke and said, don't be afraid. Fear not. Right? I bring you good news. I bring you glad tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The, the, this good news that, that comes to the shepherds, it's, it's significant. It, it speaks to God's connection with the shepherd. It, it speaks to God's connection with the concept of a shepherd. In fact, we find this, that, that in the Bible, there are these, uh, throughout, woven throughout the Old Testament, there are these, these pictures, okay, or these foreshadows of what is to come. And in understanding who Jesus is and understanding the character of Jesus and the dynamic of Jesus, we can look at some of these foreshadows or some of these advanced pictures that God gives. Here's an example. The story of Moses. Moses is an early rep representation of the Messiah. Because it's in Jesus that we have deliverance. And it's in Jesus that he rescues us. And, and in the story of Moses, when we, when we first see Moses connecting as a shepherd, it's in the land of Midian. And there are these group of ladies that they come and, and they're attempting to take care of, of, their, uh, of their sheep when the shepherds would, would push them away. And instead what Moses does is Moses steps in and protects them and makes sure that they, both they and their sheep are taken care of. We then fast forward to the book of 1 Samuel and, and we're introduced to David. It's, it's, it's fascinating that over and over again, in the story that we find, David is connected with the Messiah. He's connected with the Messiah both through lineage. He also, over and over again, prophecy speaks of the Messiah using the word David. Why? Because when David was king of Israel, he was a foreshadow or a picture that God was giving us of what the Messiah would be like, the disposition of the Messiah, the activity of the Messiah. And so it's in David that we see who Jesus is. 
It's the reason why. We see David saying this over and over again. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. In fact, David put it this way in, in the 23rd Psalm. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear nothing. So here's the question of the day. The question of the day is this. What are you afraid of? Better yet, why are you afraid? Over and over again, we find this in the Bethlehem account. Do not fear. Do not fear. And, 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 and we have this Messiah who comes and allows us to live not in fear, but to live in faith and to live in freedom. In fact, I, I, want, I, want, I want to do this real quickly. I did this a couple weeks ago in our men's Bible study. I want to do this this morning. I want to, I want to help you get an understanding of, of who Jesus is. Okay? And so I want you to do this. I want you to, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to right now, I, I want you to allow an image of Jesus just, just to, come, to come into your understanding. Okay? All right. So now open your eyes. Now, how many of you when I ask you to allow an image of Jesus to come into your eyes, you saw a long-haired dude, kind of, kind of pasty white complexion, kind of looking at you with that kind of welcoming, but also kind of a foreigner look, and he had his arms out like this. How many of you, that was you? Be honest. Okay. Yeah, it, it happens, doesn't it? Because that, listen, that's the image that you've been given. That's the picture that you've been given of Jesus. All right. Now, I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to take you a different direction. I want you to close your eyes again, okay? Close your eyes. I want you to get a picture of David, all right? Get a picture of David as he's standing before Goliath, all right? You got that? Okay, open your eyes. Okay, when you picture David standing before Goliath, what do you see? Do you see some pasty white dude that's kind of, kind of, kind of, no, here's what you see. You see one bad dude, don't you? A mighty warrior, right? When David appears before Goliath, and Goliath, this giant, says, what? Am I a dog that you'd send a boy out to me? He says, come here, little boy. I'm going to feed your flesh to the beasts of the field and the birds of, uh, of the air. And what's David's response? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand what's going on here, Goliath. See, you have defied the Lord our God. So you need to come here because today I'm going to feed your flesh to the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. And everybody will know that God is what he claims to be. Amen. Understand that the Word of God says this, that in David, God gives us a picture of who Jesus is. And so if you want a realistic picture of who Jesus is, I want you to picture that mighty warrior that is there engaged in your life, involved in your day, and says over and over and over again. It's a theme of all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. It was a constant refrain of Jesus during his earthly ministry. He would say this, do not be afraid. And he would ask the question, why? Why are you afraid? It's the prophetic word that he has for you this morning, Calvary. It's the prophetic word that he has for you this morning, church. It's the prophetic word, everyone who's watching uh, via the various media outlets. It's the question that God has for you today. Why are you afraid? Because the promises that God has given, the over 7,000 promises that are in the Word of God, they still hold true today. 
And the fear nots. There are four fear nots in the Bethlehem story. There are also 361 more in the Word of God. And those fear nots, they ring true this morning. So what I want to do is this. In the time that we have together, I want to talk about those fear nots. And I want us to together come to this understanding, this realization that this mighty God is more than big enough for every challenge that we face. He's more than big enough to respond to every issue in our day. And he's more than big enough to come into our moment and see every opportunity lived out to its fullest potential as we walk hand in hand and heart in heart with him. So let's, let's do this. Let, let's look at the, the four fear nots. The first is the fear not of the shepherds. We, we see it there in, in, in Luke, Luke chapter 2. And we're told, Luke chapter 2, verse 10, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Why are the shepherds to not be afraid? Because I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. It's fascinating to me in the four points that we see in the Bethlehem story and the four fear nots, the shepherds are the only one who do not question the angel. When the angel speaks to Mary, Mary says, how, how can this be? When the angel speaks to Joseph, how can this be? When the angel speaks to Zechariah, how can this be? When the angel speaks to the shepherds, you know what the shepherds do? The shepherds go, let's go. Let's go. In fact, it tells us this in Luke chapter 2. They don't just say, let's go. They hurried, right? They left behind the sheep knowing that the sheep are going to be okay. Even if the sheep aren't going to be okay, they know that they'll find the sheep later. It says they hurried to where Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus were. Why? Here's the reason why. Because it was the moment they had longed for. It was the moment they had dreamed of. I, I want you to imagine what happens night after night after night on that Bethlehem hillside as they watch over their sheep. Here's what they do. They tell the stories. They, they talk about those moments and they look forward in anticipation. You see, Bethlehem wasn't a big town. It wasn't something that had great notoriety. And yet, it had this amazing history to it. Listen, anyone who's from a small town knows this. You know that there are those stories of your town that you hold on to. Right? I was born in Moline Public Hospital in Moline, Illinois, a town of about 35,000 people, but we actually lived in Coal Valley, Illinois. Today, 3,753 people, probably when I was a kid, probably somewhere around 3,000 people. Right? Remember that? Remember, remember when they would do this on Hee Haw? Coal Valley, Illinois, 3,753 people. Salute. And that was it. We had, we had three squad cars in our town. And, and we really didn't need three squad cars. They were just really good at riding speeding tickets, right? And so you didn't want to speed in our town. It's probably still true if you're driving through Colville, Illinois. Just watch out. And uh, so small town. But here's, here's the thing. We knew the stories of our small town. We could tell you what we were famous for. In fact, one of the biggies in, in my small town, uh, they actually, they celebrated the passing this week of Ken Berry. Ken Berry, one of the most famous people to ever come out of my small town. Who was Ken Berry? He was the lead character on the television show F Troop. And he passed away this week, so we're going to have a moment of silence for Ken Berry. 
on behalf of my town. Thank you for honoring Ken Berry. But we, we, knew, we knew our stories, right? And, and we knew what we were significant for. Let me tell you what else. Colville Morso Moline, what Moline, Illinois is famous for. It's the home of John Deere. Right? Nothing runs like a deer. And uh, man, we are proud of that. And we are proud that that's, listen, that was part of our, part of our heritage. Part of the, the significance of, of who we are. And, and just like I can tell you the story of, I know who Ken Berry is. And most of you don't know who Ken Berry is. And why would you know? He's not from your town. You were not fortunate enough to be connected to Kinberry. And most of you, John Deere doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but listen, if I bleed, I bleed green. Why? Because John Deere's from my hometown. Those of you that are IH people or case people, shame on you. You need to get saved and understand that God's farm implement, God's lawn tractor is a John Deere. It's the reason why, if you, listen, if you go and you look at our maintenance facility here at Calvary, here's what you're going to find. You know what we have? We have John Deere mowers. You know what our maintenance staff or housekeepers drive? They drive John Deere gators. Why? Because we're in Florida. John Deere and gator, they go together, right? We use God's equipment. Because it comes from God's town, my town. Here's the thing. You can tell me the best ice cream place in your town. You can tell me what your hometown's famous for. Well, the shepherds, listen, they knew what Bethlehem was famous for. And so it would be a regular part of their conversation when they're sitting there on that Bethlehem hillside and they understand that they're shepherds. It's what they are. They live an unclean life. They're not well regarded among the people. But they can tell you the story of Bethlehem and they can tell you the story of Bethlehem is a story of significance and the story of the Bethlehem shepherd is a story of significance. Why? Because they sit there on that Judean hillside and they can say, you see that? Right over there, guys. Right over there. That's where Ruth met Boaz. You see that? Listen, the history of our people, the history of our nation, it happens right here. Right here, guys. Right over there. You see that? It's believed where that's where Samuel talked to Jesse. And he asked Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse said, I have David. And what was David? And the younger guy sitting there, the younger shepherd sitting there, and they'd go, he was a shepherd. That's right, he was a shepherd. And what did God choose? Did God choose the oldest brother? Did God choose the warrior? No. Did he choose the next oldest brother? No. What did God choose? And that younger shepherd go, he chose a shepherd. That's right, he chose a shepherd. And here's what we know. Here's what we know. There is one more shepherd that's going to come out of Bethlehem. Because Micah 5.2 says this. The book of Micah, the story of Micah says this. Bethlehem, you might not be considered some big great town, but out of you is going to come the Messiah. They knew the story. So as they sat there on that Bethlehem night, as they sat there on that hillside, and the angel of the Lord appeared before them, because the ordinary became extraordinary, for a moment they were startled. For a moment they were frightened. For the moment they were afraid. But when that angel spoke and said, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people, for it is happening. 
It was not a story that was a surprise to them. It was something that they anticipated. It is something they had heard their grandfathers talk about. They'd heard their fathers talk about. And now they were talking about it. And that which they had talked about, that's what they had longed for, was now becoming reality. And so they made their way with haste. Because they knew it. They knew it. See, we live in a time where there's so much that can bring anxiety into our day, stress into our moment, frustration into our existence, fear into our steps. And yet, if we have even a cursory understanding of the story of God and the plan of God and the promises of God, we know that God's word says that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We know that God's word says he will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. We know that God's word says that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. We know that God's word says he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We know that God's word says, ask anything in his name and it shall be done. And we have these promises. And we have over and over and over again these fear nots. We know the story well. Here's, here's the big differentiator. Are you ready? It's leaning into the story. It's embracing the story. And the difference between living life and anxiety, living life in fear and frustration, and living life fulfilled and faith is the degree to which we lean into the story and we lean into the promises and we lean into the fear nots. And, and the, the shepherds, they understood that they didn't have to fear the future. They didn't have to fear the future because they knew the promises of God. So in that moment, when the future was now, they were able to step into it with fullness of faith. And some of us, we come into God's house this morning and we have anxiety over tomorrow. We have anxiety over the future. We're worried about what's happening in our workplace. We worry about the amount of resource that we have. We worry about a, a doctor's diagnosis. We worry about the state of a relationship. And, and tomorrow, it, it grips us. And on some levels, it even paralyzes us. And friend, God brought you to his house this morning to say to you, you do not have to worry about tomorrow. You do not have to fear tomorrow because he has you in the hollow of his hands. And the steps that he's laid out for you, they are good steps. And you can trust in him. He hasn't forgotten you and his ear is not deaf and his hand is not short. His eyes are upon you. And so just as the shepherds said thousands of years ago, yea, that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You can trust in the promises of God. You can trust in the protection of God. You can trust in the plan of God and know that he's got your today and he's got your tomorrow. You can trust in that. So I would ask you the question, why are you afraid? 
Well, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, pastor, because my situation is not the ordinary. My situation is not the typical. In fact, I'm facing an impossible situation. I've got good news for you this morning. You see, when, when the angel of the Lord appeared before Mary and said, Mary, I've got great news for you. you you've been chosen. You've, you've been chosen. Mary, the angel of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you. The Spirit of God is going to come upon you, and you are going to be with child, and you are, you are going to give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus. He is God's answer for the world. It says this, that Mary was greatly troubled. To say that Mary is greatly troubled is an understatement. Mary was filled with anxiety. She was filled with fear. It's the reason why the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. Mary, don't be afraid. Why? Because we serve a God who consistently makes the impossible possible. In fact, it's where he does his best work. Mary asked the question, she says, I don't understand how this can even take place. And the angel says, well, let me explain it to you. This has been God's plan since the beginning of creation. This has been God's plan before he fashioned man. God has always had a plan. God has always had you. And Mary you can trust that in this moment that God's going to step into the impossible. And not only is it impossible, possible, it's already done. It's already done. And here's what I love. In these impossible situations that you face today, here's what the Word of God says. It says that God has given you. I love this truth about the Word of God. It says that in His Word, okay, that his divine nature has given us everything that we need. Everything that we need. Say that with me. Everything that we need. Come on, church. Everything that we need. I want you to notice, it does not say that in his divine nature, he, is, he gives us. It says he has given us. He has already provided. You don't have to wonder whether or not God's going to step into your situation. You don't have to understand if God's going to bring deliverance. You don't have to wonder if God's going to bring that healing. You don't have to wonder if God's going to bring that provision. You don't have to wonder if God's going to restore you. You don't have to wonder if God's going to renew. You don't have to wonder if God's going to reconcile. Why? Because the Word of God says this, that He's already done it, that He's already given. And so when Mary asks the question, how can this be? She sees it as being impossible, and the angel says, Mary, it's already done. You see, we don't have to fear the future because we don't have to fear the impossible because God has the ability of making the impossible possible, and He loves to do it. It's His favorite platform. Yeah, but, but what if I don't have enough faith? What if I don't have enough faith? Pastor, I've, I've heard it said over and over again. I've, I've heard it preached so many times that, that if you don't have enough faith, well, I've got good news for you this morning. Here's what God's Word says. It says that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, 
See, oftentimes we think the burden is on us. Let me tell you something. All throughout biblical history, not, not, throughout, not, not just throughout biblical history, today, God doesn't simply respond to people that have super big faith. You know what He does? He responds to people who lean into Him on any level. Right? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm in. <laughs> the, the, the man at the Bethesda pool, Jesus appears at the Bethesda pool. The lame man is sitting there. And Jesus walks up to him and says, do you want to be healed? He does not say, oh yeah. Now listen, if you're sitting there beside this pool, right, lame, and this guy that you're hearing all of these incredible stories of, he shows up and says, do you want to be healed? What are you going to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's not what this dude says. Here's what he says. He says, uh, yeah, but when the, when the water's stirred, there's nobody here to help me in. He doesn't even have faith to believe that Jesus can heal him in the moment. Here's what he does. He offers excuses. Is that ever you? Well, I got good news for you this morning. God's not surprised by that. He, he understands that. And Jesus looks at this guy who shows virtually no faith, and he says, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick up that, get up, pick up the mat, and go on home. The guy, so the guy picks up his mat. He goes on home. How about this? Let's go to the other side of Jerusalem. Let's go to the Siloam pool. Man sitting there, he was born blind, sitting there begging. Jesus' disciples ask him, whose fault is it that this man's blind? Is it his parents' fault or is it his fault? And Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. See, you always want to find somebody to accuse and somebody to excuse. You want to find somebody to pass guilt on. Listen, the whole reason this guy was born blind is to, so that you would understand the power of God in this moment. And Jesus walks up, he spits on the ground, makes mud, and wipes it in the guy's eyes. You, if you've been around Calvary very much, you've heard me tell the story and tell you that it's one of my favorite stories because I love it. Because the guy says, sitting there minding his own business, okay? He's a blind guy. He's sitting beside the Siloam pool, and he's begging, right? He's just sitting there, alms for the poor, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. Whoa, whoa, wait, hey, dude. Seriously, I'm a blind guy. You're rubbing mud in my face? Look, look at Scripture. This is the way it goes down. And Jesus leans into him and says, go wash in the pool, and you'll be healed. He doesn't believe it's the Messiah talking to him. He doesn't know. And we know this for a fact because when the religious people of the day asked him what went, went down, he said this, some guy. Some guy, right? They continue to ask him and he says, a teacher. It isn't until the Pharisees throw him out of the synagogue and he walks out and he sees Jesus that he realizes who Jesus is. See, we have this idea that somehow if our faith isn't in perfect perspective, that we're in trouble. And, and we buy into that. We buy into that for two reasons. Number one, we've heard it preached and it's inerrant teaching. It's an extra biblical thought. It's also, it's easy for us to buy into because if it's dependent upon my faith, then I'm in control. Friend, you're not in control. God's sovereign. So when the angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah while he's there in the temple, 
lighting the incense. And he says, Zechariah, I bring you good news. Your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a son. Zechariah goes, I don't think so. Look, I'm old and my wife is seriously old. Look, 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 that's what it says in the original Greek, seriously old. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe that's my translation. Right? It's not happening. It's not happening. And the angel goes, oh yeah, it is. And, and, and here's the thing, Zechariah, just where you know that what I'm telling you is true, by the way, yeah, you're not going to be able to speak until that baby's born. There, there's a part of this. Wouldn't have you loved to have been at Zechariah's house when he gets home and he's trying to explain this to Elizabeth? I mean, how, how, did, how did that go down? Now, here's what we do know. We know that he had a writing tablet. And the reason that we know that he had a writing tablet is because when John was born, the people are trying to convince Elizabeth to name the baby Zechariah. And she says, no, no, his name will be John. So somehow, uh, Zechariah was able to communicate to Elizabeth what was going down and what the baby's name would be. And then they look at Zechariah and they go, she's trying to name his name, name John. You don't have anybody in your family named John. And he takes the writing tablet and he writes, his name is John. <laughs> you know, I, there's, I think there's two reasons why he writes his name is John. I think he writes it, number one, because he wants, to be in he wants to walk in obedience. I think number two, that guy's sitting there mute. He knows what it's like to not listen to God, right? He's learned his lesson. He goes, I'm not going down this road again, <laughs> right? He writes, his name is John. And when he writes his name, his name is John, he, he opens up his mouth and he's able to speak. Listen, I'm not going to tell you that there aren't repercussions when you doubt God, because friends, there are repercussions, but... In the midst of it, God's promises will always be true. And so you walk in here and you go, you know what? God, I'm not good enough. My, my life isn't, isn't perfect enough. I, I don't have all this figured out. God, I, I tend to fail more than I succeed. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. I'm just like a massive bundle of sin. The guy wrote most, more of the New Testament than anybody else. And he said this. He says, I'm just a messed up big bundle of sin. Who can rescue me from this? And then in the very next breath, he says, but thanks be to God who always leads me into triumph. Because we don't have to be afraid of the future, because we don't have to be afraid of those impossible situations. Because we don't have to be afraid of our own humanity, right? And what we might see as faulty faith. We don't have to be afraid of saying yes to God. Amen. The last of the four fear nots we find in, in Matthew chapter 1. And it's the story of Joseph. See, Mary tells Joseph of the, the meeting that she's had with the angel. I can't begin to imagine all the emotion that Joseph feels in that moment. Mary is a a girl that he has anticipated spending the rest of his life with. She is no doubt a, a beautiful young woman. She comes from an outstanding family. She's well regarded in the community.
and they are betrothed to be married. It is, in that culture, it's done, done, done. It's just waiting for the moment of consummation. In fact, even though they're not yet married, to break it off at this point, they have to go through a full-on divorce. It's that level of commitment. And it is, it is an anticipation of a, of a dream come true for Mary and a dream come true for Joseph. A family of their own. And Mary comes in and says this. Joseph, I, I don't know how to tell you this, and it's going to sound beyond belief. But I want you to know that an angel appeared. And this is what the angel told me. And Joseph, listen, I, I know in my heart, I can also already tell in my body that, that there's a life inside of me. No doubt, no doubt there was a part of Joseph that wanted to believe Mary. Her, her character was such that he, 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 couldn't, he couldn't on any level believe that she would be unfaithful. And yet, and yet he couldn't reconcile it. It, it didn't make sense to him. There were too many questions and not enough answers. And so after he thought about it, I thought, you know, the logical thing to do, not just the logical thing to do, the honorable thing to do, not just the honorable thing to do, the godly thing to do, would be to, to end this relationship quietly. To send, send Mary away. Okay? The inference there is that Joseph is going to take care of her financially. Mary, I'm going to send you away. And, and I, I'm not going to leave you destitute. But I, I just can't, just can't get my head and my heart around this. So many of us, oftentimes, we find ourselves in that spot. What, what God, what God calls us to do, who He calls us to be. The ministry engagement that, that we have this tug towards. The, the responsibility that he gives us even in, in issues of stewardship. God, I, I know what your word says and I, and I know what your promises are. But God, I have all these questions that I can't reconcile.
The angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and says, listen, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And God has brought you here this morning to to echo that same thought for you. There's a ministry that's beating in your heart. Do not be afraid. There's a message that he has for you. Do not be afraid. There's a life that he's called you to live. Do do not be afraid. There's a a stewardship principle that he's called you to. Do not be afraid. There's a neighbor, there's a coworker, there's a classmate, there's a friend that needs to know about Jesus. Do not be afraid. It's the fear not of immediate obedience, even when there are still questions. I often use this example. I, this past July, Jody and I celebrated our 33rd wedding anniversary. I'm still learning out, I'm still learning things about my wife. When I, when I asked her to marry me in February of 1985, there was a lot about her that I didn't know. But I knew enough. I knew enough that I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. Can I tell you something? There are things that I learn about Jesus every day. There are things that God reveals to me about his character each new day. And there's so much about God I don't know, and there's so much about Jesus I don't know. But I know enough. I know enough that I don't allow myself to trip over what I don't know. I lean into what I do know. And so even when it doesn't make sense. Because that's where Joseph was at. None of it made sense. I want you to think about what Joseph misses. Because friend, listen. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. The story of the Messiah is not dependent upon Joseph taking Mary as his wife. Mary could have been the mother of Jesus as a single mother. But what God wanted to bring into Joseph's life, what God wanted to give Joseph as a destiny and a legacy, it required immediate obedience. And now, 2,000 years later, all across the world, there are nativity scenes. And you know what's in it? Joseph. There are Christmas pageants that are happening in churches across America and around the world. You know who's in it? Joseph. Because God wanted to honor Joseph, but it required Joseph 
walking in that fear not of immediate obedience? What is it that God wants to bring into your destiny, into your legacy, that requires you to say yes to God in spite of the questions? Of, of all of the accounts of the, of the story of the shepherd, I think my favorite really is this story from the Charlie Brown Christmas. We've all seen it. Charlie Brown getting beat up over a, a raggedy old tree. And he cries out, can anyone tell me the true meaning of Christmas? And here comes his faithful friend, Linus, blue blanket in tow. Comes out, comes out to the center of the stage, goes dark, there's a spotlight, and he tells the story. There were, in that same field, shepherds watching over their flock by night in that same country, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Angel of the Lord appeared before them, and they were very much afraid. But then the angel said, fear not. And in that moment, here's what Linus does. He drops his blanket. What is it? that because of anxiety in your life, fear of the future, fear of what seems impossible, fear that somehow you're not good enough, fear that there are too many questions. What is it in your life that you're still holding on to that God wants you to let go of this morning? Because, listen, God's brought you to Calvary Assembly of God this morning for your blue blanket moment. And the angel of the Lord said, fear not. Why are you afraid? Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 1030 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.